Welcome to This Cast Here, a podcast for parents and teachers about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. My name's Michael Shanahan. And my name's Michael Shanahan. <laughs> no, it's Bill Hansberry. <laughs> and today we're talking to Debbie Draper all about handwriting. But Bill, yes. Uh, first, perhaps we would like to acknowledge where we're casting from today. We are. We are casting from the lands of the Ghana people, so we'd like to acknowledge um, their deep connection with the land and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging and also, I think, acknowledge, Michael, that uh, colonisation and dispossession are ongoing processes. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie. Debbie. Welcome. Thank you. Debbie, we used to work, well, we didn't work closely together, but we were both in the same office once upon a time. We certainly were. E- eons ago. Debbie, what, were you, what was your position back then? Because I know you've done a few things. Yes, then I was working um, in the Barossa district, mainly around um, mathematics, really. Yeah, um, right. I had done some work in early literacy. And prior to that, I was at Williamstown Primary School as a deputy and a teacher, and then 20 years in Wyala prior to that, um, doing various jobs, mostly classroom teaching. But mm. then I got very much into gifted education and did a lot of work um, statewide around that. But I guess my love's always been literacy and teaching kids to read and write well. Um, yeah, so it's. I think my heart is in teaching. I decided in grade five that I was going to be a primary school teacher. Wow. And I still remember myself in the schoolyard thinking that's what I'm going to do and I sort of never wavered from that. So, wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Did, did you like the look of yard duty? <laughs> no, I didn't notice that then. That could have changed my mind a bit. <laughs> so why handwriting? What, why? Um, how did that happen? Well, I think... I'm one of those lucky people that always got reports saying, you know, the neatest worker in class and that sort of thing. But I didn't really take a lot of notice of that until I started working with kids. And I think I think you mentioned in um, your a previous podcast about how sometimes you can fudge writing, you can uh, reading, sorry, mm. you can fudge that. You know, you can pretend read, but writing is such a visual thing and you're being tested on that or being noticed for that constantly. And I just noticed kids in my class, because I've mostly taught, say, year sort of middle primary classes, and by the time you get those students, their handwriting habits are quite ingrained, but then you've got kids that, or who, kids who... um, start not writing they yeah. just don't want to write because it's such um if they're poor at handwriting it's such a, a visual show of their failure yeah. and so they muck up their behavior becomes quite distracting they need to go to the toilet all that sort of yeah. thing so um i thought well why is this and i think from that it's sort of going back to um, particularly when I was working with reading, that connection between reading and writing and how important it is to get handwriting right from the get-go mm. and and before kids have the habits that are really badly ingrained. We were talking about this, Debbie, just before we, we started recording. Uh, Michael was sharing, we were both sharing stories about those kids that have those really pronounced control difficulties, yes. you know, whether you call it fine motor or whatever. And I, I posed a question to Michael. I said, if if, um, if every school uh, focused on and intervened with things like grip and the way kids sit when they write yeah. and, and had a clear focus on handwriting, would we see fewer of these kids? I don't know, but what are your thoughts? I th- well, my thoughts are you would definitely see fewer of these kids. Mm. Um, one thing that I did when I was working on the Big Six with um, in the Northern Adelaide region, we did several years focusing on comprehension and the Big Six. One thing that I always talked about when we talked about fluency of reading was fluency of writing. And I sort of thought I'd really like to do an experiment here and I made up some handwriting kits. They were really sort of depending how you define multi-sensory, but they had um, lots of different um, 
implements in them, just the $2 boxes that you get, um, textures, pens, pencils, all sorts of things, different writing surfaces, whiteboards, iPads and that sort of thing. And I asked anyone in the in the group if they would like to take these kits away. There are about 15 different handwriting kits and there was a process that we used to teach them and one of the teachers said, yeah, I'd love to do that and she was a reception teacher at quite a disadvantaged school in Northern Adelaide and I said, the catch for you is you're going to have to present back to the group at some stage about what you found mm. and so... Um, she took video of students before and handwriting samples before and then every day for six weeks, 15 minutes of this ex very explicit handwriting instruction, kids moved around the stations and practised and it was just phenomenal, the difference. There were students in the class who couldn't grip a pencil or draw a circle to the point where it would be, can you write me an app? A cur a neck, that sort of thing. Mm. And the students that had huge difficulties wrote really beautifully. And there were pages from these reception kids of not only beautifully written word, but it was written in sentences. It was, you know, it was a really good flow of thought. And so, yeah, I do think, and you're always going to get kids that have trouble mm. and you're always going to have to intervene and make accommodations. But I think if we get that tier one instruction right from the yeah. start, yeah. we would have so much less difficulty as mm. teachers and, more importantly, the students yeah, themselves. Yeah. Well, Bill and I see kids, you know, for the most part, who do have trouble. Yeah. So I, I kind of think I've got a bit of a biased view of it because I was saying to Bill before, I've only ever had one kid and I remember it because it's just one kid, so it stood out, that had a correct pencil grip when I started yeah. working mm. with them. Yeah. Just mm. one. Yeah. Like no other kids had even the basics of a pencil yeah. grip or, you know, that writing. And we're talking about kids in upper primary as well, yes. you oh, know, yes. or even kids in early high school who still can't do it. And it's quite difficult when they're older to get them to change. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you kind of have to get them up. You know, you kind of get, if you, as long as you can get a working technique happening. Yeah. yeah. And not just grip, but, you know, the whole process of writing. It's, yeah, it's quite tricky if, if you don't get to it early. Absolutely. Like any skill. That's right. Exactly. If, if a child's practised something by year five thousands of times incorrectly, trying to change that is nigh on impossible. I, I have. I've got – I'm holding up one finger. I've been able to correct one grip, I reckon, yeah, and, and this kid was willing to go there. Mm. And his mum had said to me, oh, good luck, because he's double-jointed. <laughs> and his grip was – was terrible, but he wanted to go there. And I must have had a good day and articulated to him because he was about 11, I think. Mm. I must have articulated him well enough why we should go there. Um, and he had all those expected issues. His hand ached, his wrist ached, yeah. his forearm ached. Yeah. When he wrote, I, um, so I remember I would tap his finger because I could see the pressure he was putting on. And that joint there, I'm pointing for the listener, I'm pointing, I'm, this is my index finger, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, between uh, end of finger and first joint, that would actually go backward and I could see him go white there mm -hmm. and I'd go, you're going white there, mate, just, just back off the pressure a bit. But we got there but one out yeah. of hundreds yeah. and hundreds of kids. Yeah. Yeah. And Lynn Stone was quite influential. She talks about in Reading for Life, she's got a chapter on... Um, Shout out to Lynn, by the way. She's got a, 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 a chapter or bits and pieces on yes. the importance of yeah. Yeah, getting this right early. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we know it's important and we know that we can help kids. Even kids who really struggle can improve, improve their handwriting, particularly if we get to them early. And so why aren't we doing it? Like we, we used to teach handwriting, didn't we? I we remember did. when I was at school, yeah. I was explicitly taught handwriting. It's probably... One of the only things I can remember yeah. about that that early hang literacy. On, hang on, Michael. We're going to be labelled back to basics <laughs> types here. We've got to be we've got to be careful because we're we're not. This is this is all yeah. grounded in some really good research. Yeah, so but what anyway. happened to it? What happened? Yeah. Why I did think, it disappear? And why is it coming back? I think um, there are lots of reasons that it disappeared. I think that one of the main ones is that people didn't realise 
its importance. Mm. And there has been a bit more recent research about the connections between reading and writing. Teaching manuscript, for example, is and if you look at Montessori schools, they actually teach writing before reading and students actually pick up the letters and the reading through the practising of the handwriting. Mm. So I found that a really interesting thing. That's, yeah. you know, um, the questions that you sent me earlier, I thought, hmm, I'm going to have a look at that a bit more. And so mm. I delved a bit more into the research. I think, yeah, people didn't realise the connection between reading and spelling and writing. They didn't realise that, um, I think, the idea, you know, the whole language approach of, you know, let's get our ideas down, mm. Mm. Um, which is great, but um, if you can't write them down, your ideas get stuck in your head, yeah. you know, translating yeah. from the thought to the hand is, is really difficult if you don't have automaticity of That's handwriting. Right. Um, things about, um, I think you talked about in the previous podcast, about the connection between uh, one of the other things is that typing, you know, like we're not going to be handwriting anymore, we're going to be typing. Mm. So why are we bothering with that? But there's a lot of research around the fact that handwriting um, builds knowledge in the brain, that it, you ret retain more information, but not just from, um, you know, remembering facts, but from a conceptual understanding. You, when you're handwriting, you tend to pull out the concepts and and them together in your own words whereas when you're typing you're you're yeah. actually just mostly it's just um rote you know, yes you're just yeah. getting down all the ideas verbatim yeah verbatim is yeah. the word i wanted yeah. thank you bill that's all right <laughs> and i wonder if the finger movements when you're typing are not really descriptive of what it is you're typing there's no content in a press no whereas when you form a letter or form a word I think you're, you know, every one of those things you do is a unique action. Mm. I don't know. I just suspect that there's something to do with actually having to form something that is a unique pattern in your brain or mm. pattern of movement mm. is different to just a key press. Yes, I think you know, so. Yeah, a D is different. The we, D is no different to an A when yeah. you're typing. It's, it's a different a press. You're activating a motor program. Especially if you're me and you're movement. just typing with two fingers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I don't know about people that touch type because I'm not one of them. <laughs> Neither am I. Um, Very jealous of them. Though. Yes, I think. But it is a different process. It's mm. very, as Bill said, very much verbatim. And I've... You know, I've typed things as I've been reading and I've forgotten what I've written about, whereas if I do a mind map or write it, I'm much more likely to remember it. Well, you're having mm. to go through the, oh, I don't know if ideation's the word, but I was thinking about that as you were talking. If I'm listening to someone speak, I have to make decisions about how I'm going to put that on paper and I am more, I am more likely to... Um, put down word for word yeah. what they're saying if I'm typing than I am if I'm writing. I'm using, I'm sure, very different processes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a study, um, I think it was with university students. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you know, what was that one, Debbie? What did they do with them? Um, at the college students, they tested them on the knowledge or retention of between typing and handwriting. That's right. Um, tested them on remembering what, what they'd heard, um, and then they tested them later, and the students that wrote by hand remembered more detail, but yeah. they also remembered not just the next day, but several days later. That's right. They they had a greater conceptual understanding. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? So there's yeah, there's that reason. Mm -hmm. um, the lack of knowledge about how important it was, I think. Mm -hmm. The typing situation where you know there was that whole idea of you know we won't be handwriting anymore oh all that mm. future that futurist education yeah. thinking which yeah. i think has sent us down too many rabbit holes yeah. and do yeah. they keep do they teach kids touch typing at school um look, i'm not sure they do because some schools oh, probably some do schools but i failed it yeah, yeah. I, I there was a period where it it was like okay mm. typing's going to take over from yeah. writing so everyone needs to learn to type mm. I remember that period, but I'm not sure, sure that exists now. I think there's an assumption that kids are good with technology yeah, and they just let them go because none of the kids that I no. work with or see can type, no. you know, touch type. Yeah. 
I think one of the reasons for that, though, might be it takes as long to learn that skill as it does to learn to handwrite. You're kind of stuck then, though, aren't you? If you can't handwrite and you can't touch type, it's kind of double (laughs) jeopardy, isn't it, you know, for getting information down? Voice to text, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, voice to text. Well, that's right. Yes. So so handwriting is um, it is back, and and Debbie, you referenced some research to suggest that it uh, le- that the handwriting bit helps students with the reading bit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, what are you seeing in schools? So we say it's back. We're seeing it come back into schools who would say using that broad science of reading term, which mm. I'm loath to use because it's going to be misused very soon. But what are you seeing, Debbie? I'm seeing um, a range of practices. I think, um, as I mentioned before, there were you know schools that work on. I was doing a series of um, webinars with a school in WA, for example, and I mentioned about fluency because we were talking about reading fluency, and I said I'd really like to bring in handwriting because of the connection. And the the comment was, "Oh, we don't have time for that." Mm. Um, but I did anyway, and interestingly, looking at their um, newly written policy, they've actually brought it in. So I'm gathering they saw the value of it. You convinced them. Yes, mm. I think. Well, the results convinced them. Yes. Yeah. When they yeah. did try it. Yes, yeah. possibly. But yeah. I think, yeah, I think there is a lot of evidence to suggest that it's really important. I'm seeing, um, I think, Teachers aren't trained to teach handwriting, Um, so they don't. Mm. Um, And they get those dotted sheets for kids to trace. And if there's one message I want to get across today is don't use dotted sheets. Don't use dotted letters because Mm. kids need to freeform letters to make the connections to reading. I think there are more useful practices. Mm. Um, Mm The main thing is like when you first teach students to write, handwrite, is to be very, very explicit about starting points, movements, end points. And I don't focus on size. Mm-hmm. So I actually get stu- young students to do um, the letter in all different sizes because mm. they need to be automatic with the formation of the letter. Then we talk about size. Um, what about air writing? Air writing? Because that's fairly popular. And I've always wondered about air writing because I think it's quite a different physical movement to handwriting. So is it good practice for handwriting to be air writing something? Well, I tend to use it, but just so that I can see what students are doing before we move on to the stations. Uh So what I do is when I teach and I guess this is something I've put together through reading and practicing with kids and seeing what works um, it's the gradual release of responsibility yeah. mm. I show students how to form the letter I give them examples I have a range of examples that I've written on the board as I'm talking through where I start where I go next and all of that sort of formation talk then I get them to look at the letters and tell me which one of my letters is the best okay. and why. And so that's about that criteria for success. You know, mm. we need to start in the right place. A letter needs, if it's an app, for example, it has to join up and all of those sorts of things. And then I've put together a PowerPoint that's I've animated. Mm-hmm. So whilst the students are practising, they're seeing the shape or the the formation of the yeah. letter constantly mm. and then they're going around in their pairs around to these different stations and just practicing that letter so by the end of the lesson of about 10 minutes or so they've probably practiced that letter you know 30 40 times mm. yep. um and it's such a short amount of time in the day and i think it has such a huge impact yeah um well, and it really is a skill of repetition, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, mm. yeah. re- repetition, yeah. repetition, repetition, yeah. which could be boring, but it sounds like having stations kind of breaks it up. Well, it's a bit more interest, a yeah, bit more variety I think to so. it. And I think just because we're focusing on formation before they use a lot of paper and pencil work, mm. they've got that that um, automated mm. so that when they go to the paper, 
it, we can start focusing on lines and yeah. size and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, there'd be teachers listening who have built um, that into their uh, their review routine. So a school I'm thinking of, the students have their whiteboards and they write out the alphabet in lowercase. And they're actually, now they're saying the letter sounds, I think they're going at, but, so um, with the stations, Debbie, is that something you'd use for uh, perhaps a classroom who don't have that other routine habituated and is a bit of catching up of formation needing to be done for kids? Or I, Well, I tend to start with reception students. Right. And you know, they might only need to use those stations for a term. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, in fact, the school that um, trialled this, the students in the reception then went to the kindy and taught the kids how to Brilliant. use the stations. <laughs> and, the, you know, the, the students actually worked in pairs, so they'd assess each other and they'd self-assess. So it was just, I just think, such, you know, a short amount of time yeah. for such a big impact. Oh, what an investment. Yeah. So I can hear, I can hear teachers screaming out, OK, uppercase, lowercase, which first, or simultaneously. What are your thoughts, Debbie? Um, I tend to teach lowercase first mm. and then bring in um, – it depends – I guess the sequence of how you teach depends on the age of the students that you're teaching. But it makes sense to me to teach lowercase with your phonics program. Yeah, mm. it tends to be the, the go-to mm. practice. Yes. Yeah. But um, with older students, I tend to teach the same letter formation together. Yeah. So oh. – um, an a and a d and a k and a g are all two o'clock letters in my language. Yeah. And that kind of tends to help if you remind students that d is a two o'clock letter, mm. then they don't necessarily get those reversals as often. No. I tend to talk to older students about the, the, the letters in those formation groups and yeah. I've yeah. got that on the PowerPoint and I remind them it's a two o'clock letter or whatever it is. What are some of the other two o'clock letters? And they can tell me. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So a teacher's doing the right thing and following a phonic sequence. And we're talking about letter families. And those letters yes. aren't going to come next to each other. No, they're not. Yeah. So what do we do about this? Do it just wait until that code's in and then start to talk about the families, the, the, the formation families? I think I've pondered about this. I don't know that there's an easy answer because teaching letter formation – um, is best done sitting at a desk with mm. feet on the floor. Oh, here we go, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I want to go here. Yeah, yes. Go. That's teaching letter formation is better. You know, we've all already talked about, you know, the pencil grip, holding the paper correctly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having it slanted, feet on the floor, anchor the body. All of those sorts of things are really important for pen and paper or pencil and paper, yeah. handwriting, explicit teaching. Yeah. However... When you're doing phonics, there's a really good reason to use whiteboards. Mm. It's all about purpose. I think you want, as a teacher, you want to see very quickly that a student has got it right. That's right. So the chinning it of checking very quickly, whereas if you've got them all sitting at a desk with paper and pencil, Mm. it's going to take you a much longer and your lesson is not going to flow. So you have to get back to purpose, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to do both. I mm. think you need to have that explicit handwriting instruction. Oh, yes. Sometimes we focus really heavily in handwriting lessons and then students go to do their writing or spelling and we forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I see that beautiful handwriting books with kids and then their general workbooks, not so good. So yeah. I think yeah. it's about keeping up that, you know, I use the concept of five-star work with my students that – Handwriting is part of your five-star work, mm. yep. and and clearly, you know, there are times when you're scribbling a shopping list or whatever that it's not as important as long as you can read it. But yep. we've got to think that well, handwriting is not an end in itself. It's yeah, about yeah. communicating ideas. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, um, and and autom- and automatizing yeah a, a set of skills which need which need to be. Not in, not on the cognitive workspace one day, That's so the kids exactly can think right. about the other, the other bits of writing, the ideation, and the, it's in the sentence structure, and mm. yeah. Um, so with the just picking up on what you said about the whiteboards, Debbie, I see um, a lot of the okay. Well, let's should we go here about the sitting 
Yes. The the the, the tables, physical the act chairs. of writing. Yeah. So I see students at tables with the whiteboards. Uh, some classes, the kids are sitting on the floor with the whiteboards with legs crossed. I much prefer kids at tables because we know the body has to be – there is an optimal body position. In, yeah, there, there you go. Deb, Debbie's just sat up nice and straight, including <laughs> core stability. Or, yeah. Yeah, so, um, okay, so listeners to Discastia will know, have heard me hop on right on my soapbox about classrooms that don't have enough tables and seats for all students. So we have kids in beanbags, lying on their bellies, writing. Um, take us there, Debbie. What's 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 your thinking? Again, I think with I think that is kind of a hangover. A lot of that's a hangover from you know, I suppose the whole language approach, the mm. um, inquiry approach, that sort of thing. With where in some cases there wasn't a lot of explicit teaching going on and so we want to make kids feel comfortable of course we do but i've had classes where i've asked kids they they decide how they want the desks in the room and more often than not they want rows oh yeah yes yeah yeah. Mm. It's less distracting. I mean, when I set up, even with adults, set up a conference room, I try and set up the big table so that everyone can see the, you know, the screen. Because yeah, yeah. You, you Who know, wants those seats where you've got to have your back to the table? Oh, <laughs> have you spent eight <laughs> yeah. hours having to cock <laughs> yeah, your neck to look yeah. at the presenter? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of that, and I I get why. You know, teachers want students to feel comfortable, but there's a bit of misconceptions about misconceptions about what is comfort. Like yeah. a lot of kids do like that predictability. I mm. think we know there's lots of research around the best practices for handwriting, and they are, you know, mm. being able to see the screen or the board. And for particularly with for kids that have trouble handwriting. It's not about looking at the board. It's actually about having it on their table as well. Yeah, yeah. Because that that act of sort of looking at the the whiteboard and then going back to writing it is just too much. Yeah, yeah. For some kids that are already struggling. Mm. That's right. Finding your place again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've been talking about pencil grip already. Yes. You know, and you kind of immediately go to pencil grip when you're thinking handwriting. Yeah. And when I first started out, that was my focus as well, which is difficult. Like, as we've said, it's very, very difficult to change a kid's yes. habituated pencil grip. Oh, yeah. But I read some research that said actually pencil grip, I think it was only down number three on the list of the important part of writing and writing neatly. And number one was body position. Mm-hmm. And feet firmly on the ground. What are your thoughts on that? Where, where do you kind of focus that physical activity? The pencil grip, or is it pencil grip? Is it posture? It can be is all it the, the same way time. you sit. I think is it's, it all, it's of all of yeah. those things. Mm. I think pencil grip. Um, sometimes, I think we we give kids like in early years. We often give students pencils that are really thick because mm. we think it's easier for them. It actually makes it harder. Is that right? It's better, you know, those IKEA pencils or golf pencils. They're actually better off with short, thinner pencils. Right. Um, But even with my year five, six class, there were students that had a pretty pretty awkward pencil grip but had a very fluent, neat handwriting Mm. style. Seen it. Mm. So you don't want to change that. If it's comfortable for them, if they're not, you know, doing the white knuckle, you know, and it's not fatiguing, then... You know, there's no point in trying to modify that grip then. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. Exactly. Right. Um, and there's, there's, I was reading just recently some research about, you've probably seen those students that do the hook grip. Yes. You know, with their writing and that's, um, there. there's a different sort of grip possibly recommended for those students because they don't, they have a positional difficulty. Mm. So what do you mean by the hook grip? You know, when you... So their arm bent around. Yeah, their arm's bent around and they're probably their... If you think about it, it's hard on radio. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can show you. um, Your fingernails would probably be facing your chest as they're writing. Yeah, yeah. 
So there's a suggestion that they use a slightly different grip, and I can um, put that in the research notes yeah. as yeah, well. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, because and those those students tend to have a, like when they um, have their elbows against their body, their hand is in an unusual position. So there's something. So yeah, going back to your original question, it's about what's going wrong here and why is it going wrong mm. because. There are lots of problems mm. that you need to sort of work out what is it that needs remediation. Mm. There are lots of things that we know are good practice. So what is it that this student's not quite getting? Yeah. Um, so it's not a blanket answer is there, what I'm trying to say, yes. I guess. Yeah. There, there's probably an important caveat to the if it's not broken, don't fix it. Your example, Debbie, was a year five class and you get those kids with the awkward grip who are fluent. Yes. Um, I would... I would fix it in a reception student, oh, even if they seem to be keeping up with everyone and, and they've got the same level of automaticity. But we can predict there'll be problems later. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you? What about pencil grips? So, with some of my kids, I use pencil grips, and when I use I use these pencil grips for the kids who want to change their grip. Yes. And you know are keen to do it, but just keep forgetting. Same. And so. It's just a, like a physical reminder for them that their fingers are in the wrong spot yeah. because it's kind of hard, you know, to fit your three fingers yeah. into here yeah. or it's obvious when they're not in the right spot and I can say, mm. tuck that finger, you know, okay, remember to tuck the finger. Mm. Um, what do you think about pencil grips, using pencil grips? Exactly as you've said, if it works and you've got the right pencil grip because there are a myriad of different yeah, pencil yeah. grips out there and some are probably more useful than others. But again, it'll go back to the student. I mm. think you've got to remember that handwriting is a motor skill as well and mm. if, if there's something that reminds them that their motor movement or their grip is not quite right, that's definitely yeah. a helpful thing. Oh, yeah. I've seen rubber bands around pencils and kids' wrists. There's all sorts of things you can do to try and help remediate a mm. grip or get them to do it correctly in mm. the first mm. place. Um, again, it's sort of, I think, you know, there's not a lot of research about this sort of stuff. So mm. it is a bit of trial and error. Yeah. I often yeah. will give kids a choice of trying different grips. Yeah. The simpler, the better. I mean, yeah. sometimes just with a normal implement, I'll get students to scrunch up a tissue in their palm. because oh, Seeing this. Because yes. that kind of helps them maintain the right that right hand position and or if they drop it if it comes out they've lost their position yeah. oh the simplicity mm. yeah. yeah there are lots of quite simple things but again you know it's sort of the student has to want to and yeah, feel comfortable yeah. so and i think it's really important to give kids choice sometimes yeah. you know mm. like especially older students mm. like with younger students you you've got all sorts of things like you put the pencil towards you then and you grip it, and then it just goes back. You pick fold it, up. it back. You yeah. pick it up, and it Flip folds it. back. Seen that? Yeah. yeah so mm. there are different little techniques. There are lots of videos out there. Again, I can you know provide um, links to lots of different resources. So yeah, I, great. We yeah. can put those in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Should we be using dotted thirds? Um, this or just straight lines or no lines. Um, depends <laughs> on the stage of the student as well. Like yep. I mentioned that no lines to start with for formation. Mm -hmm. Then gradually bring in lines, um, wide lines for younger students. I'm a bit torn about dotted thirds. I think it can help some students, mm -hmm. but it confuses the hell out of others. Oh, right, because um, they don't know which line to start yeah, on. Yeah. I think there are, you know, if it works and that's part of your explicit instruction, yes, mm -hmm. Why not? I think if you teach anything well enough, kids get used to that and it, yeah. it can yeah. be helpful for size, formation, shape and... Getting you know, the proportions exactly. right. That is a very important point you just made, Debbie, is about teaching it properly. Yeah. So if a student's going to have dotted thirds, I would hope that whatever the teacher's working from is has the same dotted thirds. Mm, yes. So we all know what we're doing. I think I think these things are confusing for kids when we don't teach it well. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There are lots of different things. Some yeah. teachers use graph paper. Yeah, yeah. yes, I've um, seen that. 
So, it yeah, in the booklet that I've put together, I've got some tips around that as well mm. that I just distribute free to everybody because yeah. I'm so keen to get everybody teaching handwriting. Brilliant. Um, it's a very good booklet too, yeah. by the way, Debbie. I've had a look through it. So, yeah, yeah just yeah. – and it, it's got some examples of – how to teach the grip and all that sort of thing mm. as well. So that's definitely there for teachers and parents and students to access. Okay. And so now I'm actually writing, whether it's dotted thirds or whatever. Yes. And there's a few things that go wrong here. Even if I'm in the right position, I've got the right slope. Um, there's pencil grip that's too tight. Yes. And so keeping an eye out for that. Have you got any tips for helping kids who grip the pencil too tight? I think it's just that it's reminding them that why they need to be a bit more relaxed yeah. for a start because yeah. they'll tell you after, you know, two lines that they're the exhausted. Hand's yeah. 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 yeah, And it's, you know, the hand, the arm, the shoulder all mm. gets fatigued really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think it's about... You know that feed constant feedback. Yeah, you yep. know that I don't really have any magic notion yeah. for yeah. that one. No, I just yeah. say to teachers, watch for white knuckles. Yeah, right. as yeah. you as you yeah. move around, that mm. is a big indicator. Why do kids hold with too much pressure? I've got a theory um, because if it hurts, why would you do it? Mm. What it will? What's your theory? My theory. Well, I watch my <laughs> kids when they are under cognitive load when yep. they are thinking about formation particularly when I get them to do the whole multisensory drill, at is A. So they're doing the saying, the writing. At the same time, when there's a lot going on yep. in their brain, they're whole, having to hold a lot, I watch the pressure go up. And as that, as that starts to automate, mm-hmm. I see the pressure drop off. Mm-hmm. But in those early stages, I just have to tap, I just tap them lightly and I go, just relax the hand a bit. Mm-hmm. It's it's as simple yeah. as that. Just it's, those little cues. Yeah. Constantly yeah. giving them those little cues. Just tuck your finger. Yeah. You know, loosen off your grip a little bit. You just it's so much to watch out for there oh, is. when you're teaching it. Yes. And listen out for because yeah. when they're using a whiteboard marker, I'll go, You're making you're making my whiteboard marker scream. Because mm. it's going yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I yeah. think again that early intervention when the students use the stations. I just have things like a paintbrush in a salt tray, and um, just to automate, um, automate the formation. Yes. Um, they've got a paint in a squishy bag, yep. clear bag that they just trace with their finger. Yep. They've got um, car tracks where they just put, you know, put, you know, take a car around the track. Yep. So there's all that. Before they're even picking up a pencil, all that automation before. Lots of different experience of that shape. Yeah, so Mm. that hopefully that alleviates some of that cognitive load. Mm. Like you just said, Bill, they're just focusing so much that they're, like when I'm driving, my hands are gripped on the wheel, especially Mm. coming here, you know, because (laughs) I'm trying to concentrate on where I need to go. Anxious or stressed. Yeah, so I think. I mean, I, I grip too tight. And I think it's because I'm trying hard. Yes. I don't know. You know. You, you know. When you try hard at something, yes, you kind of tense up yes. because yes. you're really putting a lot of effort in. Yes. And so, just that simple reminder to relax is like, ah, oh, okay. Any golfer will tell you part of their pre-hitting the ball routine. Last thing they'll do is relax their grip. Mm, yeah, relax before they start their swing. Relax that, and it, focus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, mind you, at the net when I'm playing tennis, I don't hold the racket tight enough. So there you go. You'd end up throwing it across. Well, that's your excuse for throwing your racket across the court. <laughs> My racket never gets thrown, Michael. <laughs> no, it does. It does. I'm terrible. Oh, really? I've just outed myself. <laughs> um, Debbie, can I just pick up on um, the stations and those different modes, you the paint in the bag? I, I hear science of... I've heard a few schools that have been in the science of reading for a little while yeah. kind of um, mockingly go, no, we don't do the shaving cream in the tray. You know, we just get the kids to write. I, I just want to um, clarify the purpose for why we might get a kid uh, pushing a car along a track or or forming the letter using the back of a paintbrush in a bag of paint. Is that just about other ways to lock in that motor program for the direction? 
Absolutely. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's the focus. It's formation. <laughs> mm. And that's the first thing that you need to be teaching. Yeah. How do we know if a kid's ready to write? And there, are there things kids should be doing pre-writing, firstly, to get those skills, and secondly, as teachers, so we can see if they're ready to be doing the handwriting? Well, there are, yes, there definitely are. I think there are couple of things here one about dysgraphia there's the kind of motor dysgraphia where Mm -hmm. a a student can read quite well um, but it's the fine motor skills and there's the more I suppose the lexical dysgraphia yeah they call them surface and deep just is that right surface and deep dysgraphia and the surface is the motor control stuff yeah yeah there are all seems to be all sorts of different categories of dysgraphia but um I guess I'm thinking like there's the probably the comorbidity with dyslexia yeah and so having that issue as well makes but if it's if it's about motor I think there are I, and I don't think it's just students with dysgraphia. I've had seen kids come to school that have very poor fine motor skills because they're, they're really good with their index finger, you know, flicking a, a phone screen. Yeah. Yep. Um, and there are lots of reasons that, like, kids don't do as much fine motor stuff um, prior to school anymore because of screens, yeah. I think. So there are... There's that issue around building that those fine motor skills, building finger strength and hand strength. So, you know, rolling the Play-Doh, squishing mm. things, cutting, picking up beads. If a student can't pick up a bead with their pinc- you know, pincer grip, mm. they're not going to be able to write. Yep. Yeah. So there are lots of things that we need to do like prior to and hopefully preschool and at home, but we know that doesn't always happen. Mm. So... I think it'll be pretty obvious and things like asking a student to, to draw a straight line or to draw a circle, you know, there's lots of developmental stuff that you can see that drawing a circle is actually quite difficult. Mm. Um, so, yeah, all that fine motor stuff as well. And I tend to do warm-ups with younger kids with handwriting, like we do spider push-ups and all sorts of things with our fingers. Oh, wow. Yeah, what are spider push-ups? Well, it's just sort of where you're just pretending your hand's a spider and you're pressing down and pressing up again. So there are lots of those pre-writing exercises that you can do. Yep. So. Spinning a top was one of them, I've yeah. seen. Oh, yeah. 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 So, and the rolling and pinching of Play-Doh, rolling mm. Play-Doh into a, a spiral, all, all those sorts of things will help if it's a motor skill yeah. yep. issue. Um, but again, with this uh, reception class I was talking about earlier, a number of those students had, you know, they weren't ready for writing, but with that explicit instruction daily, they went from not being able to draw a circle to mm. being able to write letters. So, again, it's about practice and all those other things, scissors, handwriting, beading, all of those things will help um, will mm. help build those fine motor skills. Mm. I couldn't help thinking how good Lego must be for this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, what we're, and teachers, what we're not saying is... Um, you have to immediately go and do all this stuff, but it's worth thinking about. So the, the take-home, I guess, is if a kid can't pick up a bead or control, do spider push-ups or, or, or have strength and control over those finer movements, you can forget, you can forget ladder formation until they have those, those mm. skills down. Yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. I think they'll probably get disheartened. Well, that's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just too hard. Yeah. And yeah. so then it's kind of, you know... Really, an uphill battle, isn't it, to try and get yeah. them to write when That's they can't right. keep the pencil straight? And if it, and if a teacher doesn't understand this, sometimes poor handwriting can be seen as a moral deficit. You know, just like poor spelling, and some kids uh, can not so much these days, thank goodness, but be awfully shamed and humiliated about their poor handwriting. Yeah, exactly. As if it's a laziness issue. Yes, Mm. that's right. Yeah. 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 They can be trying ten times as hard as any other student in the class and still failing. Now, we've been focusing, Mm. for the most part, on literacy and handwriting, but I also find mathematics and handwriting a big issue, Mm -hmm. Um, especially getting numbers back to front. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because we focus on literacy 
uh, I think numbers can be neglected. Yeah. To a certain extent, you know, yes. I've had kids that can write quite well, but when it comes to numbers, you know, because whenever I do their spelling exercise with them, they write the date. Yeah. I see it. And they can't. Yeah. Backward you know, five. They, they, yeah, they really struggle to, to do that. So do you think numbers should be a part of the handwriting program or, you know, is it a part of a handwriting program well, the, if you're doing if it? If we look at the South Australian handwriting curriculum, for example, numbers are part of that and they're, yeah. they're definitely part of most handwriting programs that I've seen. Um, but, yes, you're right. You do sort of tend to neglect that as an mm. explicit thing, but I yeah, definitely teach it as part of handwriting. Mm. Yeah, because then it gets yeah. to maths. Yes. And mm -hmm. a kid, you know, I see lots of kids who understand the maths but when it comes to writing it in their book um, end up getting the problem wrong simply because they've written it the two backwards and when yes. they come to add it up they think it's a five or yeah. you know or yeah. whatever they can't read their yeah. own writing when they come back to it yeah or i've seen many cases where they might say the number 55 but only write five yeah you know uh, what i mean yes, and so yeah. there's just that gap mm. because the handwriting's Difficult for them, yeah. yeah. And the letter and the number formation again isn't automatic. So again, you you have a cognitive load issue when a kid sits down to write two, trying to hold other information in mind, and then they go, oh, which way? Yeah. It's the same with forming yeah. a letter or writing a word. If you if you're not sure, you'll dump other stuff yeah. out of working memory because you focus on that. Mm. Um, all right. So let should we get to the big one? Because I know teachers are thinking. I hope they get to the. The whole uh, linked versus manus uh, manuscripts or unlinked. Or I call it cursive. Cursive. They're cursive versus print. Yep. Which one? Uh, if if both, when does one stop? When does the other begin? Uh, and it does people's head in. Oh, and by the way, which style are we using? Mm. Does a school have to decide on a style and stick to it? A, a particular... Yeah, so what do you reckon, Debbie? I think um, I've done a lot of reading about cursive versus manuscript um, and because some, some people, I guess, some experts are suggesting that we should start with cursive so students don't need to learn two styles. To me, that's counterintuitive because if you're learning phonics, you're learning it one letter at a time. Mm. Um, okay, yeah. So... Some of the argument, I just went through the arguments, many hours of reading, you mm. know, trying to work out. I wanted to challenge my own thinking because I'm thinking this is what I think mm. based on my experience, but is that right? Yeah. So um, it, their reading-writing connection, it makes much more sense if you're starting with a print or manuscript, Um the South Australian alphabet is a good one to use. It's well-researched. It does allow you to go from print through to linked script in three stages. So you've got, you know, your print alphabet, which has no kicks, and then you've got the alphabet that looks very similar um, with a kick, um, and then teaching the joins. So that's sort of, it makes logical sense. Um and it is a researched okay. alphabet. So um, a lot of the arguments around teaching cursive from the get-go are around it's easier to teach one style. Mm. Um, but what that does, and it's suggested that, you know, kids can write words and they can map the word, but to me that links to the whole word learning approach, which is what we're not on about. We're actually learn trying to teach kids to learn the sounds and join the sounds into words. So I would suggest match that with your handwriting. Um, in, this, in England, for example, quite recently, teachers were asked to teach, you know, the very florid cursive script right from the get-go. Teachers hated it, um, found it really hard. Um, and they, interestingly enough, in 2021, the UK changed their curriculum back to this is how you need to teach it. Right. Let's start with their single letters, print, and move through. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of evidence to, say, to suggest start with cursive or linking, but 
in the curriculum about year three, two, three, they should be starting to link up. With some kids, even older kids, I just get them to continue with the the parental just with a few kicks because Mm. trying to get them to link at that stage is just confuses them even more. Yeah, right. Um, So, but I think if you choose something, just teach it explicitly. You can teach kids cursive Mm. from if you want to. Just teach it well. Just be as explicit as you Mm. would. You know, there's arguments that it's quicker. It's actually not to do that, you know, when we, again, like I'm showing my age, but I went through that. You know, the Fs are like this and, mm, you know, the, mm. all that's quite um, old-fashioned cursive style. Um, it's much quicker to use this font, you know, that where you just, mm. you know, joining and pen lifts are okay. So, Okay. So why is the goal linked? This is... If you move, if we're starting with print and moving yeah, to link, why is the goal linked? What makes linked uh, good? Because it does become more fluid gotcha. and it does become quicker with practice rather than lifting your pen off too yeah, many times. Right. Um, with, if you're writing, there are some letters in the South Australian alphabet, for example, that don't link at all. So you, you lift your pen rather than going, you know, making more stro- strokes on the page, if you like. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, so... I know uh, William Van Cleve talked about, you know, it's all across Europe, it's Catholic nuns do it, Montessori schools do it. There are, there's no evidence to suggest that's true. Okay. Um, some schools in Europe do, particularly in France, but it's often not, the cursive is not taught as the first step. It's mm. usually by about seven years of age. Mm. Um, okay. Montessori schools, they vary a bit too, but they do teach a cursive style, but they have all sorts of pre-writing skills before, you know, all the stuff we talked about earlier, Play-Doh, manipulatives, lots of fine motor skills stuff goes on. Right, right, okay. They have boards that have the letters engraved in the board, so there's, you know, like... um, in the wood, yes. so the yep. kids follow it around with their fingers. All of that happens before they write. Okay. So it's a bit fallacious to think that cursive from reception from the get-go. is a useful thing to do because okay. it's actually there's no evidence to suggest that's the case. Right. But the linking later on with most Australian alphabets are similar, not exactly the same. They mm. vary from state to state. But I think... It's important, it, you know, if a child goes from one school to the next, it's pretty helpful if, the t- you know, it's Absolutely. the same handwriting style that they've learnt yeah. previously. Yeah. It's, it's all yeah. part of a low curriculum variance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah, lots and lots of reading about that and I just think the way it's set up in the South Australian curriculum is actually the better way mm. to actually teach. So it starts with print. Yep. And then moves to just some little kicks, kicks, yes. kicks yep. on the letters, yep. pre pre linking yes. additions, and then it moves to linking, and yep. then to how you link letters as a one stage letter. process. So okay. that again is very explicitly taught. Mm. Well, I say it is, but it it should be, and I'm not blaming teachers for mm. this because most teachers have not been taught how to teach handwriting. I wasn't. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think because I had a, an interest in it, I got into it. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't always, you know, I might have been the only one. So if we're going to summarise this, so we don't have poor old teachers going away thinking they've got to change everything. By the way, there is a change you do make. If you don't teach handwriting ex- explicitly, probably a good idea to start. But the where do you start? Mm. How much do you... On what hills do you die on about grip, posture, um, you know, dotted thirds, non-dotted thirds, whiteboards, thickness of pen, grips? One of the things that keeps, kept coming up was 
for some of those more nuanced things, we'll talk about the non-negotiables in a moment, yeah. I guess, but for some of those nuanced things, it comes back to teach it explicitly, teach it well and give kids plenty of practice. Yeah. Would that be mm. a fair a Absolutely. Fair thing? I think it's the same as teaching phonics. Yeah. For example, I in a school recently... Um, I got uh, the teachers to map their students on um, using Aries um, stages of reading. Oh yes, yes, I know. I just got them to put their students, like write their students' names across the board, and then I said, "Okay, now do it for writing." And the kids they were way back in writing. Their Mm. phonics was great because they'd been explicitly taught. Yep. And I said, "How do you teach writing?" Oh, we use the workshop model. What is that? That's just write, you know, like, mm. you know. Just do it. That Let's write, you know. Mm. Um, oh, free writing and invented, yeah, invented spelling. That, that sort in of thing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that it's the same thing. Like it needs to start early, be as explicit as systematic phonics yeah. teaching. Yes. Um, alongside that, um, so definitely that explicit teaching early on, get it right early, You'll scrub out 90% of your problems probably mm. in, you know, probably a term of explicit teaching yes. in mm. reception, in terms of formation, then you can move on to the next step. So if you are already, if you are teaching um, literacy in an explicit, structured way, you are getting the kids' handwriting anyway because it's part of the multisensory yes. routine. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that. A lot of that takes care of itself, yeah. doesn't it? Handwriting instruction is built into the program. You can't yes. not do it. And if yes. you're not doing it, you're missing a big part yes. of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What um, What are the non-negotiables about kids and how they sit? What have we discussed? And, and how their body looks and how they write and what position they're in? Well, the desk at the right height, if not something to firmly plant their feet on the floor, Yep. that, you know... Good posture that's slightly leant forward, yep. which, you know, kids with core need core strength yes. to be able to do that, which can become exhausting if mm-hmm. they don't have that. Uh, slightly lean forward, you know, correct pencil grip, mm. hand on the paper so it's not, you know, scattering all over the desk or sliding everywhere. Yep. So to anchor the paper, um, yeah, just... Head tilted forward, you know. This it's very, you know, very explicit. I have pictures mm. up showing, showing um, kids what it looks like. We practice that. Um, so I, yeah, there yeah. are all those things that, you know, are non-negotiables really mm. about when you're sitting at a desk. This is the best way to get yeah. the best out of your handwriting. So we're not doing a handwriting lesson with kids lying on their bellies on the floor. No, we're not. Uh, no, good. Or sitting in beanbags. Or sitting in beanbags. No. Okay. So, p- look, parents, just a note for you, and I always say this, I've, you know, I wrote a blog which had a big bit about this. If you're looking for a school that's going to teach this stuff well, one of the things you're looking for, are, are there enough desks and seats? Yes. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Debbie, for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm oh, happy yeah. to share. Brilliant resources and hope that it really does help somebody. Where do people find you, Debbie? You can find me on Facebook at Debbie Draper Educational Consultant or just search my name and you'll probably find my website. Excellent. We did that before, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Okay. Which I'm currently updating, but yes. And we'll link that in the show notes. We will. Um, Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie, I wish that I had you as a teacher (laughs) <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I I wish that I had teachers who had, you know, taught me to write because, um, you know, like I said, it's it's a really tricky thing mm. when you struggle with it. Um, and teachers, parents out there, please don't ignore this. Yeah. You know, don't just make this something that's an optional extra. It really should be part of the whole package. It's one of the things that really matters, isn't it? It it's is. It's fundamental. And, mm. and we're not any time soon going to be replacing handwriting with typing or whatever. There's always going to be a case where you've got to be writing in front of somebody, filling in those dastardly forms. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) And we just don't want to have those extra little Mm. bits of humiliation that kids have to go through. Correct. 
um, of you know not being able to do something as fundamental as that. So handwriting's not going anywhere soon. So don't listen to those bonkers educational futurists <laughs> who tell us in five years no one will be handwriting. We've just got to do what we've got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank All you so right. much. Sadly, uh, a few days after the recording of this Discastia episode, we heard the very sad news that our fellow dyslexia advocate and friend Sandra Tidswell had passed away after a battle with cancer. Sandra has been absolutely instrumental in advocating for kids with specific learning difficulties, mainly dyslexia, for uh, lots of years. Sandra was right there at the beginning when the group Dag Bags was formed in South Australia. And Sandra then was there as Dag Bags morphed into uh, Dyslexia South Australia and then um, was a founding member of Code Red with the other incredible Sandra, Sandra Marshall. Um, Sandra was a light who burned very, very brightly for all of us um, and she was like a tornado with her passion and she often fired us up uh, to get as angry as we needed to be about some of those issues that we all battle each day in uh, helping schools or sometimes nudging schools and systems to better support those kids that we work with. Any of you who in South Australia who have benefited from the Facebook group, Dyslexia Community South Australia, that was also Sandra Tidswell who conceived and moderated that group. So um, it's Sandra you've got to thank if uh, anything on that on that group uh, helped you, which it no doubt did. Here at Discasty, we want to send our um, regards and our thoughts and our deepest condolences to those who Sandra leaves behind, her husband Glenn and her, her wonderful boys Harry and Leo. Uh, we're really hurting with you um, and can't imagine what it's like uh, to be experiencing your loss at the moment. So um, thank you for listening and uh, this one's for you, Sandra. <laughs>